262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. He didn't just pray and wait for things to happen. He prayed and then went back to work. Listen, that is a tremendous truth. You may overlook that and say, so they got to work. But that is a liberating truth. Nehemiah committed the problem to the Lord. And then in the words of Chuck Swindoll, he asked his assistants to hand him another brick. Hand him another. Lord, here it is. Give me another brick. I'm, I'm too busy working. It's the Old Testament version of the World War II slogan, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. That's exactly what he did. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Prayer and action are not mutually exclusive, as some people seem to think. Nehemiah was a man of prayer as well as a man of action. He asked God for help, made his plans, and executed them even in the face of constant resistance by his detractors. This is Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For the past few weeks, we've been learning about a remarkable man named Nehemiah. Today is the conclusion of a two-part message covering the first six verses of chapter 4. This fascinating book took place after the return of the Jews from the Babylonian captivity. The temple had been rebuilt, but the city walls and gates were still heaped in piles of scorched rubble. God inspired Nehemiah to travel to Jerusalem and lead the effort to restore the walls. But certain people did not want the Jews to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In an attempt to thwart Nehemiah's efforts, they ridiculed the Jews, calling them weak and pointing out their lack of proper materials for the job. Nehemiah did three interesting things in response to criticism. We'll see what they are on today's Verse by Verse and learn how we can use them in our own lives to do great things for God's kingdom. Here's Pastor Steve. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, speaking of the gospel, speaking of salvation, speaking of the, the new life and the message that we have, he said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. In other words, our salvation is like a treasure house in a weak clay jar, something easily broken. The gospel is housed in a frail human body, which he compares to a weak clay jar, a vessel. Now, why would God do this? Well, he says it in verse 7 that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Paul's point is that any manifestation of power is not because we're strong, it's because God uses the weak things of this world to demonstrate his power through. We're not competing with the Lord. And then Paul goes on to illustrate how weak he really is and how, how mighty God is. He says in verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Paul's point is that God uses weak people in order to display his power through them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, look around in your congregation. Has God not chosen the weak things of this world to confound the wise? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, in weakness, his strength is perfected. God uses weak things. Listen, we know what it's like 
to get stung with words, criticisms, lack of confidence in us, insults, put-downs, ridicule. And that's just one of Satan's tactics. And many times it discourages us. Many times it discourages us. In fact, the Jewish people were discouraged. Notice back in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse uh, 5. At the end, Nehemiah says, For they have demoralized the builders. It worked. It worked for a time. And some of you, I think, have taken words to heart, and maybe you're not serving the Lord because you don't really believe God can use you. You've been told so much that you're weak, you're a nobody, you're not spiritual, you can't do this, you're going to fail, that you really believe it. And you don't believe that God uses the foolish, weak things of this world to, uh, to bring glory to himself so that people look and say, it's obviously not you. It must be the Lord. That's exactly right. But some of us have, have not taken it that last step. And we're just, uh, we just believe that God can't use us. So you sit on the sidelines and you believe the lie. See, someone has called ridicule the language of the devil. And it'll destroy you spiritually. It'll destroy you. Someone said this, many people can stand bravely when they are shot at, but they'll collapse when they are laughed at. Some of us have been laughed at and criticized, and we really believe that God cannot use us. And, and the old saying, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but names will never harm me. That's not true. I'd rather get some sticks and stones thrown at me than names. Names hurt a lot deeply. Those sticks and stones, those bruises will heal a lot quicker than uh, those things and names and ridicule and criticisms because those are internal and those go to the heart. So what should you do when strong words are hurled at you? Well, we want to see what Nehemiah did. Notice verses 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. Now, the first thing Nehemiah did was pray. But this is not your typical, Lord, bless those who have persecuted me kind of prayer. It's what we call an imprecatory prayer. An imprecatory prayer is a prayer calling down God's judgment and wrath upon our enemies. Now, quite frankly, this is something we need to address because this is a problem to many of us. We need to think through this because it sounds so contradictory to the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Jesus said, but I say to you, uh, you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And then in Romans chapter 12, Verses 14 and 19, Paul said, Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. And then 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, how do we reconcile, theologically, Nehemiah's prayer and the New Testament teaching of what Jesus said? Well, I think there's uh, basically two ways to look at this that will help put it in perspective. Number one, Nehemiah was not being personally vindictive. He was not being personally vindictive. He wasn't seeking revenge. He placed vengeance where it should be in the hands of God. He said, you do it. It wasn't a personal thing. You do it. You do it, God. So he was doing just what Jesus said to do. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He was just giving it to God. Secondly, and I think the thing that really should help clear this up, is that Nehemiah's prayer was based on uh, something that we are not under, and that is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, part of it in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, said this, I will bless those who bless you. Speaking of Abraham and his physical descendants, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That was the promise 
That was the promise. Nehemiah was only asking God to do what he had already promised to do. To curse those who were a threat to the survival of Israel. And they were a threat to the survival of Israel. This is not just a, a wall that they're building. The, the nation and the survival are at stake. That's what we're talking about. So he just uh, prayed and asked God to curse those who were cursing them. It wasn't, it wasn't even a personal thing. Now, the question that we have is, should we pray like this when our opponents come up against us? Well, based on the Abrahamic covenant, it would seem inappropriate for a church-age New Testament believer to pray like this. We're specifically told not to pray like this. We're told to, to pray as what we read, what Jesus said. We are not Israel. We are not um, Abraham or the, the nation of Israel. We are a distinct people. We are the church, and we have been told to pray differently. But Nehemiah prayed this way, and David in the Psalms often prayed this way, but that's different. So you want to take into account the Abrahamic covenant. That's not, that's not for us. However, the principle remains that when we face opposition in the work of God, and we will, and we do, we ought to pray. Nehemiah did not bottle up his feelings and pretend that it didn't hurt him. You know, I don't care what anyone says. Well, that's not true. He did care. He was honest with God. He said, Lord, hear how we are despised. Those words stung. We are despised. He just put the problem with God and in his hands. He didn't retaliate. It says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, when Jesus was threatened and when he was uh, cursed at and when he was uh, spit upon, all, he did not retaliate. He did not strike back and, and uh uh, Nehemiah didn't strike back. He didn't retaliate. He didn't do any name calling. He, he didn't put them down and say, oh yeah, well let me tell you about you Samaritans. He didn't do any of that. So the question that we have to ask ourselves as we study this is, do you spend time in prayer when you're hurt by somebody? Do you really spend time in prayer or do you think of ways to get back? Mental mind games. How dare they say this to me? I'll, I'll fix it. I'll give them the silent treatment. I'll do something that will really hurt. I'll punish them. They'll plead for me to talk to them. Do you commit it to the Lord or do you just dwell on it? Mulling it over in your mind, thinking about it, dwelling on it so that it festers and a little anger turns into a big bitterness and you've given Satan a foothold in your life because you're bitter and you have malice and a little nothing has become a major thing in your life and you are consumed by it. We ought to pray. We ought to pray and give it to the Lord and leave it there and, and not dwell on it. And one of the ways that you don't dwell on it is you get busy in the work. That's the second thing that, that Nehemiah did. It's not enough to just pray. Some people have said, well, I've just given it to the Lord. Yeah, but then you go back and think about it. You haven't given it to the Lord. It's not enough to pray. You've, when you've been the victim of words that hurt and criticisms that sting and accusations of inadequacy, notice what Nehemiah did after he prayed. It is not enough to pray. Verse 6, so we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. He didn't just pray and wait for things to happen. He prayed and then went back to work. Listen, that is a tremendous truth. You may overlook that and say, so they got to work. But that is a liberating truth. Nehemiah committed the problem to the Lord. And then in the words of Chuck Swindoll, he asked his assistants to hand him another brick. Hand him another Lord, here it is. Give me another brick. I'm, I'm too busy working. It's the Old Testament version of the World War II slogan, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. That's exactly what he did. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. He and the people did not let Sam Ballot's nasty words keep them from building the wall. They continued to work. They joined the wall to the point where it was half its height, which, which they were going to build it up. It means they were half finished. That's what it means. 
They were half finished at this point. They just persevered. That's the principle. Prayer and perseverance in the work of God when you are attacked. Listen, the worst thing you can do, and and hear me well, this is so important. The worst thing you can do when you are hurt by what someone said to you is to get sidetracked into all kinds of fruitless discussions and arguments attempting to defend yourself. That's so often what we want to do. That is Satan's strategy and tactic. You know why? Because he's accomplished his goal. He's got you off track from doing the work. That is exactly what he wants to do. That's precisely what what his goal is, to stop you from doing God's will, to cause you to come down from the wall and start defending yourself and straightening things out, and uh, it's just fruitless. It doesn't work. It's not right. Years ago, I faced a very difficult situation in, in my ministry. A staff member wrote a very critical and very nasty letter about me and the elders. This is a staff member. It was a letter filled with accusations that just frankly were not true. Just were not true. Anybody close to the situation uh, knew that they were not true. But the problem was that there were a lot of people not close to the situation. And this staff member mailed this letter to all of our members and mailed it to all of our parents at the school. It was a horrible thing. Sunday came and uh, there was just a, a hush of anticipation. What was I going to do? And... Uh, Some years ago, I had read about a similar problem of trying to defend yourself and trying to answer accusations and get to the bottom of it. I I read this book called Doss. It's the story of Dawson Trotman, who founded a very wonderful ministry called The Navigators. Uh, They worked with with Navy men and Army personnel during the war. Now they work a lot with, uh, well, just various people, college students, young people, older people. It's just a great ministry of discipleship. But in the early days of this ministry of the Navigators, Dawson Trotman uh, ran into a problem in which somebody accused him of things and letters went back and forth and and he, he repented, he apologized, he tried to get it all straightened out. And here's what this book says. By this time, the situation had become... And by the way, on Sunday morning, I got up and I read this. And still, it's underlined in my book. And this is what I did uh, years ago. I got up and read this. By this time, the situation had become confused by hours of talk and a blizzard of letters explaining, accusing, defending, apologizing. Finally, a mimographed open letter to the church asked the reader to call on Dawson to repent. Mailed to hundreds of people from prominent Christian leaders to apprentice seamen, it presented proof of Dawson's guilt and proof is... It's in little quotations of Dawson's guilt of misdeeds and words and personal conduct and handling of navigator funds and expanded versions of previous charges. Doss was stunned. Even before this letter went out, he was anguished that his guilty plea could be construed to cover almost any offense an accuser or hearer imagined. Now he thought of the hopelessness of separating truth from falsehood in the minds of more than a few, the disruption of the singular unity and fellowship among the navigators, the potential harm to young believers, the shameful blot on the name of Christ. And here's the good part. Charles Fuller, who was a great uh, godly man, Charles Fuller said, who was a very close friend of Dawson Trotman, he said, Doss, you should never have started writing letters about this. I have been accused of such things in my ministry. Others have. It's a common occurrence. The best thing to do is trust the Lord and don't waste time answering charges. Go on with the ministry and God will take care of you. And at that time, I closed this book. I laid it aside and I said, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Would you open your Bibles to him? I whatever passage we were on. And then we just moved on. Never dealt with it. Never dealt with it publicly. And the reason being is because it doesn't do any good. It, it just doesn't work. It just, just leave it alone and get on with the work and let God take care of your reputation. Let God take care of it all. 
And no one is immune to those things. We're all hurt by those things. We all want people to think uh, highly of us. And anyone who says, I don't care what anybody says about me, is just lying. They do care. They do care. Everybody wants to be admired. Everybody's hurt by things like that. But if you try to straighten it out, it's just a waste of time. You try to answer everyone who says erroneous things about you. So you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that when you're criticized. You just get on with the work. Don't waste your time in trying to handle every accusation. Don't think about it. Pray. Commit it to the Lord. And then just give your reputation to the Lord Jesus Christ and get on with the work that you're doing. Jesus didn't try to answer every single accusation. He was called demonic. He was called a Samaritan. He was called illegitimate. He didn't try to to deal with those things. He entrusted himself to the Lord and you get on just like he did doing the will of God. Now, I want to just bring some principles you can, you can mark down and, and work on this week and for the rest of your life. Principles to grasp. Number one, recognize stinging words for what they really are. Recognize what they really are. They're satanic attacks and tactics to get you off track spiritually. The battle is a spiritual one designed to damage the work of God. And I'm afraid that that some of you may have been very involved in the church at one time, but something happened. Someone said something to you, right or wrong. They said something to you, and you know what? Now you're not involved. you're, You're not involved. You were really hurt over that, and rather than doing what Nehemiah did, give it to the Lord and get on with the work, you didn't do that. You didn't do that, and you're on the sidelines. And you're not involved, and you know what? Satan is one. He's one. And I want to say to you, get back in the battle. Get back to the front of the lines. Don't be sidetracked. Don't be on the sidelines. Don't be a spectator. Understand what's going on spiritually. It is more than just what somebody said to you. It is a spiritual battle. It is warfare. It is not just, well, he said this to me. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know they were being used to the devil. But don't let, don't let uh, this sidetrack you. Secondly, don't try to pretend that those criticisms don't hurt you. They do. They do. Be honest. They hurt. But then give it to the Lord and move on. Don't dwell on those things. Paul said, think on the things that are true. Philippians 4.8. Those things are, if the criticism is valid, then adjust. Then adjust. But if it's not valid, don't think about that. Don't dwell on it. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us what can become of us. Let me just read this to you because this, uh, Paul obviously wrote this because some in the church at Ephesus were like this and some may be here like this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Put it away from you. Don't dwell on that stuff. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That's the word of God. That's what you do. You say, but it hurts so much. I understand it hurts so much. I understand that. I experienced it. I still experience it. Maybe not those criticisms, but others. We all know what it's like. But get on with the work. Don't dwell there. Don't, don't leave it there. They only, these words and criticisms only harm us if we dwell on them. And then Satan has a foothold in your life and your effectiveness for Christ is weakened. You cannot say, well, those things hurt, but they can't affect my spiritual life. No, they hurt and they do affect your spiritual life. You can't, you can't compartmentalize your spiritual life. Well, this is life over here and this is life over... For the Christian, in him we live and breathe and move and have our being. Everything is together. 
Number three, after you commit to the Lord, pour your energy into doing the work that God has called you to do. That's one way you keep from dwelling on this stuff. Get busy doing the will of God. Don't waste your time and energy trying to answer every criticism. For one thing, you can't do it because you are not the problem. You are not the problem. The person who's criticizing you is the problem. And you can't straighten them out because you're not the Holy Spirit. God can do it. Give it to Him. Until they change, nothing will really be resolved. Because you know what? If, you put, if someone's heart is intent on criticizing you, if you put this fire out over here, there's only going to be another fire here. So you really haven't resolved anything. Unless God does a work in that person's heart. And so you pray. You pray for that person. Pray for their spiritual growth. Pray for them to have spiritual insight and understanding. Secondly, your job isn't to defend yourself. That's not your job, to defend yourself. For some of us, it's like a full-time job, but it's not. We're not supposed to defend ourselves. Do what God has called you to do. You don't have time, as, as in the words of Nehemiah, to come down from the wall and answer every little accusation, become entangled with fruitless discussion. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's God's word to us. And some of us are just sidetracked. Get back in the battle. Get back in the battle. Have you let stinging words do this? Have you let them remove you from, from the real battle? And if you haven't been stung, you will be. Just do something that's meaningful for the Lord, and you will be. I guarantee it. You'll be stung and hurt. Have you, have you let these, um, these criticisms arouse feelings of inadequacy, of self-doubt, to the point where you don't think God can use you? Well, you're wrong. You have believed a lie. You are wrong. And you need to change. You need to get busy and believe that God uses the weak things of this world so that he's really glorified. And you know what? It could be that you are a non-Christian here today. And uh, we've not really focused on, on the gospel. But it could be that you as a non-Christian have believed the most satanic lie that's ever been expressed you're too bad to be saved. You're too evil. God can't save you. That's, that's really the worst lie that you could ever believe. God saves those who only saves those who realize how evil they, they are. Jesus doesn't save righteous people or people who think they're righteous. He saves people who know that they're evil and they're wicked and uh, in their hearts they know they need to be changed. And I can see that you're getting your Bibles ready. You're closing it up. You think shop's closed. I can see. I see everything from here. Well, it is. Let's bow for prayer. And let's be, let's be quiet before the Lord. And let's let the Lord deal with us. Let's let the Lord, as we're silent in His presence, deal with us. Criticism. How do you handle it? Do you just pray, give it to the Lord, and persevere? Some of us pray. I'm not sure we persevere and get back to the work. You need to repent. You need to see where you are. And you need to face reality and get back into the work that the Lord has called you to. The great Chicago Bears running back, Walter Payton, rushed for over nine miles in his 13 years with the Bears. Imagine running nine miles with someone knocking you down every four and a half yards. Walter Payton played in 186 consecutive games and knew that even the best get knocked down. The key to success is to get up and run again just as hard. You've been listening to Verse by Verse and a study from the life of Nehemiah taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff. 
Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily classes are an extension of his pulpit ministry and are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. You'll find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the conclusion of a two-part message. The entire message, without announcements, is available on cassette or CD. Order yours by calling us at 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306. There is an old story about two men who had a wood chopping contest. The challenger worked very hard, only stopping for a brief lunch break. So at the end of the day, he was quite surprised and rather annoyed that the other man had chopped considerably more wood. The challenger asked the winner how he could have chopped so much more wood when it seemed like the man was taking a break every time he checked. But you didn't notice, said the winner, that every time I sat down, I was sharpening my 